the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, episode 371. I'm your host, Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. Nate, welcome to the, well, it's still a pretty new year, isn't it? Oh, it's the first one we for can, the year. You know, it's good, good, good to have you back Thanks here on the show. Now, keen to catch up. What have you been doing? How's your how's your a break? Lot, a lot of break, Paul. If I'm honest, there's been <laughs> the good a life. lot of break, and then I'm heading to the Hawks Bay next week for a little bit more of a break, just because yeah, none of our customers are around. So it's you know, if I want to try and get leave or good amounts of leave, now's the time to do it. So best time of year, isn't it? It is. It is good. So, good stuff. Can't complain. And you've been in Australia too? I've been in Oz, um, heading to the US in June for conference, so I've got all that stuff booked, and then, yeah, all over the place. My um, airport's is going through the roof at the moment, which is quite cool. That's good. Now, you probably should remind listeners, or new listeners, where you fit into this world of tech here in New Zealand? Yeah, so I suppose my claim to fame on, well, on Twitter would be that I'm Nate, just N-A-T-E, which tends to get a few inquisitive looks when I speak at conferences or tech conferences overseas. Um, I own a software company called 3Bit, so we're, we've been around, I think this is our 14th year, which is ridiculous. So we're a small software company, and I also do a bit of work with GeekZones. I'm one of the moderators there, which is New Zealand's, I think it was at once New Zealand's largest technology site, or still is New Zealand's largest technology site. I think site. so, I think so, yeah. So, yeah, that's me. Yes. Oh, that's good. And uh, you were in Australia too, and you picked up a new phone. I saw it's shiny yes. new phone. So I've got there. the new Pixel Two XL. Um, so it wasn't an upgrade I wanted to do. My Nexus Six P, which I'd had for ages, which I really like that phone, um, rebooted one time when I was at a cafe, and then got stuck in a reboot. And if you actually Google it, it's actually a known issue. It's called the Nexus Reboot of Death. And there's lots of people who have the same experience around the two-year mark, or just before the two-year mark, it will do that. And some people have been able to fix it. Other people have had to send it back to get it repaired. So my one's on the way back to, and I won't say who the retailer is, but my one's, I'm having a bit of a debate with the retailer because I said that phone originally, I think, was $1,000, and it hasn't lasted me two years, which is not quite right, I think. So they're going to look at it and see if they can repair it or replace it. Um, and then I looked around, and the best reviews, because I really like the Android um, ecosystem, the best reviews was the, the Pixel, and I like the bigger screen, so I had to go for the Pixel, the, t- the second one, and then I wanted more memory, so I got the 128, so I just did. <laughs> so I got so a really good... for the Pixel 2 or the 2XL? Uh, the 2XL. Yes. So I like the bigger screen, and I wanted, yeah, 128, so I've got more storage, and yeah, I've really been impressed. I think, um, you know, the battery, we're finally getting to battery that the Apple um, users have had for, you know, years and years and years. It's so responsive, it's so quick. Um, there were issues about people talking about the screen burning, um, but I haven't had any of those. Sort you of problems. Had that. Now, something that I was I was showed by um, another friend with the with a Pixel was little AI capability that is built in to the Pixel Two, mm. and this I thought was very curious. You've got this little, um, and, uh, yeah, is it an artificial intelligence thing? Anyway, it's got a, a matching algorithm or some sort of AI, whatever you want to call it. And if if music is playing in the room, and your phone's you know your phone picks it up, then it tells you what's playing, right? Yeah. It's so when the screen's off, it, it comes up with a little music note, and then we'll tell you the, the the song title and the artist for whatever song's playing in the background. And now, if you if you're not comfortable with the phone in essence listening for music, you can actually switch that feature off. It's actually not that difficult. 
And and of course, there's been apps around that have done this for uh, for quite a few years. Shazam, um, Soundhound, I think, was the other competitor in that space. But yeah. the the un the unique thing, uh, my impression on this, and maybe the other ones work this way as well, is that it doesn't. It's not actually going out to the cloud to do this. It's all built in, so it's got a local. Yeah, a pretty I, big database of music and so on, and somehow squeeze it down into your phone and can and can figure that out from just listening to a bit of uh, um, a song. Yeah, I, and I think the other big difference is it's sort of a passive system, so you don't have to see for with Shazam, for example, you actually have to engage Shazam and then click the the button, and then it will start listening and process it. Whereas this one, it's just constantly just sitting there listening to the song. And I do find it is a bit of a novelty still. Um, but yeah, if, uh, out for dinner or sitting somewhere chatting with friends, just to glance down the phone and go, oh, that's by that particular artist is actually really nice. So the thing is, what will be the next useful thing that happens with a phone that is always, always listening? Yeah. And the thing that it will do without you actually even thinking about engaging it, but it figures out something that's happening and help so it could be somebody's mugging you and yeah. it figures out based on based on what's said and um, takes a you know selfie for you yeah yeah <laughs> getting mugged um, I don't know there's there's all sorts of possibilities there but I I just thought that was it was interesting it wasn't something I'd uh, I'd initially realised that um, the the Pixel two uh, did. But it is uh, it's, it's kind of neat. Well, I had quite a good break myself uh, with the family. We were in the US for about a, about a month, uh, and got to see a couple of interesting things. And I don't think we mentioned them last week, so I'll I'll share a few highlights. Went to lots of national parks, Yosemite Valley, incredible. Um, the the other one that was incredibly uh, photogenic was a place called Antelope Canyon or Lower Antelope Canyon. We went to, and you will have probably seen seen the uh, the the photos of it. It's worth uh, uh, worth googling anyway. Um, but in terms of tech stuff, obviously CES, which we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, uh, but I got to see a SpaceX launch. Oh, nice! And this was a little bit out of the blue. We were uh, we were travelling. Uh, we were actually on our way to Yosemite, and we were on the freeway. And we looked up in the sky, and there was this sort of glowing shape. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had some discussion around you know what it what it could be, and uh, you know, joke around UFOs and so on. And when we actually got to our accommodation. We actually saw liter- Twitter had been lit up with people going, is it a UFO? What is it? What's going on? Uh, and it was actually the final um, SpaceX rocket launch of 2017. Uh, so that was quite a, quite a privilege to, uh, to see that. And obviously, we, we are going to talk a little bit about a, uh, a rocket launch that happened a little bit closer to, uh, to, to home on this episode as well. Uh, amongst other, other topics, we've got uh, Amazon Go to talk about, uh, some drone things, Airbnb, Hawaii Cable, Intel and uh, Magpie all on the agenda. Um, but yeah, that, that was a real privilege. Also uh, got to shadow a Waymo uh, autonomous vehicle on the, on the road. 
so that was kind of kind of cool to be in the nice. right place at the right time to uh, see, uh, see one of those just around San, San Francisco and there were a lot of autonomous vehicle things happening at CES as well um, there's a, a visitor centre at NASA Ames Research Centre that we uh, we dropped in on as well uh, got to see the new Apple um, campus so just a, a little look from their public store and, nice. and, and cafe on their big the spaceship um, as it gets referred to it is absolutely massive it looks massive from the um, drone footage and they're still finishing off building it so if you, if you got if you got too close or you tried to you go in a little entrance way or something they're obviously I think they're dropping staff and whatnot off, off so they have buses that come in to drop off and pick up staff and mm. and the like but uh, yeah if you went anywhere near the wrong area you'd have a security person running at you waving in their arms and stuff is quite wow. uh, um, yeah quite interesting They're very 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 protective um, and um, look my son young Pablo who's seven he's uh, he's got quite a fascination with Teslas I don't know why whether it's listening to this podcast Good choice. and us talking Good about you know electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles but he, he's got quite fascinated with them so one particular place and there are kind of Teslas everywhere both in Hong Kong where we were uh, you know, probably well, a few weeks before we went to the US um, but also of course in and around uh, the San Francisco Bay area which is sort of the home of, uh, of, of Tesla and uh, so there'd be lots and lots of them and you go into a, yeah, even a supermarket car park and there would be Tesla superchargers there, so you might have six or eight uh, Teslas lined up, all uh, all getting a nice, quick, you know, fast charge. And uh, one of those that we went to, there was uh, there was someone there running a, a car cleaning, uh, you know, valet type uh, type business, and it was right in front of the Tesla spot. And I guess he focused on the the Tesla, you know, mm. type market. Um, because those people were having to leave their vehicle there for a while, so it was a convenient thing to get them valeted at the at the same time. And um, he, we got, we had a little chat to him, but he had this little toy Tesla. And uh, before I knew it, Pablo was in this thing and taking it for a drive. So um, my seven year old has been in a. Tesla, well, sort it's going to be a very expensive uh, uh, Christmas for you. This year. <laughs> so, so he had fun having a uh, having a little spin in that. Um, but they're toy mini Teslas, of which there is a really good uh, or a, a very amusing video um, online of someone who is smaller than the average person. Um, who you might know from some um, movies. Um, um, I've forgotten his name now. Vern, is it Vern Troyer? Vern, maybe. And yeah, he uh, he. This thing arrives, and that's and that's his car. And this little guy, you know, jump jumps into it. He's a similar age to you and I, but uh, but a fair bit fair bit smaller. Um, anyway, so I came across that as I was um, as I was looking up this uh, this little little mini uh, kids uh, Tesla. Uh, now on on to the on to the real topic. So. One thing that caught my fascination or my attention was life-saving using a drone. Um, So this came out uh, last week around um, a drone now being used uh, in Australia by uh, by lifesavers called the Little Ripper. Um, and yeah, being being uh, being test, tested out in Australia, um, not not a cheap drone. 
Um, so, you know, reasonable uh, investment. I think off the top of my head it was around uh, uh, $20,000. $20, but if it can save some lives by being able to go and, uh, you know, drop something out to somebody that's uh, that's in deep water and in trouble yeah. uh, and able to get out there very, very quickly – uh, that makes makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? It's a really good video to watch because you can see the drone fly out there and they're obviously adjusting the, the pitch or the, the direction of the camera. And then as soon as they get over the two, I think it's two young boys, they sort of, the camera goes straight down. They then hover right down and then you see some sort of um, inflatable, it, it reminded me of one of the, the lifeboat or the um, escape hatches on planes. You know, where mm. as soon as they, they sort of, or like an airbag, as soon as it gets deployed, it's, fully inflated so they fly over they drop this down and then the two boys jump on it and then or sort of hold on to it and then swim back to shore I remember I, I retweeted when I saw it pop up and I thought what a fantastic use of technology um, to be able to because the drone's probably going to get out there a lot quicker than someone in a, a inflatable boat um, they really need some something to save them and it's just I, I don't know I thought it's just a perfect use case for that technology um, and they're spending quite a bit of money I, I remember before we started the podcast I said to you I thought it was hundreds of thousands and so I found the original article and it talks about it. So it's actually costing, they're doing the trial and it's costing them $450,000. But that's the whole trial. It's mm, not, because mm. I, I remember reading that thing, man, that's an expensive drone. But yeah, the whole um, trial is four hundred and fifty grand, um, and they're going to, I assume, roll it out everywhere if it's successful. And but there's all sorts start. of possibilities, right? This is just a start, but you can imagine, you know, dropping out um, some sort of inflatable, you know, vessel that they actually the people could climb themselves into. Yeah, if they had enough strength to pull themselves into it, uh, that could be itself a drone. Right, and itself it autonomous that can you know, then, yeah then then pull them back to to shore or some you know variation there thereof um, you know other uses for for you know, large scale drones uh, one of the guys on my team um, Neil suggested that hey this would be uh, uh, also quite interesting in fighting forest fires as well you can you know imagine needing to get up and uh, um, yeah, douse douse flames. If you had a big uh, a big fleet of of drones of enough uh, capacity, mm. you could probably do some quite interesting things there as well, and probably a lot safer than putting you know traditional types of air, aircraft uh, up. And yeah. and yeah, from safety point of view. Uh, from firefighters, and you know, I guess that would also be quite interesting from a uh, a robotics perspective as, as well. Especially, you know, you look at some of the um, the bigger uh, robots. If they had those focused on uh, on firefighting, able to go in and uh, and do that sort of work, you're not likely to see the same sort of deaths that you see when you know firefighters are, are really fighting those. Um, those, those worst situations. So I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how these things develop and it's always good to look for those good positive use cases because I think people do get freaked out around the negative around stuff. Where, where the technology is going, right, and around um, yeah, what, what, what jobs that we like that might, uh, might disappear. But yeah, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm more interested in the cases of what are, what are the jobs that actually it would be good to have technology do for us rather than uh, yeah people having to having to do them to swap them away. I, th- I wonder if, if this is the the space where we see um, the technology in the next five or ten years. You move away from having lifeguards 
you know, someone's in trouble and you have, that becomes kind of like a quaint or an antiquated technology. And then even somewhere like Pihar in NZ, you see it ends up being five or six people just sitting there with drones that are just hovering back and forward and firing out these inflatable things. Yeah, well, you know, you could, you could, um, you know, have a, have a wearable that everyone that goes into the water wears, right? Mm. And it's able to detect if there's an issue and the wearable will actually manage to ping a you know ping a message message back. Um, yeah, it would have to be able to communicate through water and whatnot, however it mm. works. But you know, if you're getting if you're getting into uh, into a struggle, uh, it might work. Yeah, you could have it as simple as well. You have to you know tap something or say something to uh, to to activate it, or maybe not say you know noisy with the water and everything out there. But um, I I would imagine. There must be, yeah, an, an ability for you know with with AI sort of smarts to be able to figure out certain situations that hey this person is showing all the signs of being being in trouble, and for them to be able to offer you some sort of help, right? Yeah, so you have a bank of cameras that sit up and just monitor, and then can detect based on the movement or the behaviour or the patterns of that person. It's pretty exciting pretty exciting application of tech and probably something that uh, off face value doesn't yeah you wouldn't have thought of joining life-saving with with ai and drones would you hmm. but there is there is yeah so so many opportunities and and you're right yeah it could just be the cameras are using you know they're trained on ai so you don't even have to have a wearable but the cameras have got enough viewpoints on a particular uh area so, or and you get to a stage com- where we don't actually have lifesavers. Like you can get to twenty four seven coverage because you have a bank of cameras and a bank of autonomous drones that watch out and make sure the piece. And so, life saving can extend the coverage hours of coverage because you don't have to have people there. It's all just done for you. It's being yeah, it'd be an exciting and very crazy time. A world where it's impossible to have an accident and die. It's impossible, impossible to drown. And you get to the stage where people are like, oh, I don't remember the last time we had a drowning because. We've got the safeguards to to stop that happening. Much like where we will you know, likely eventually get with uh, uh, roads that are run by people that are not people, because it's tech. Rocket Lab. Did you, did you did you get to follow some of this stuff over the over the weekend? It was so cool. It's right? so so good when they're about to launch and that random boat just pops up. <laughs> And I bet everyone's scratching their heads looking at each other going, whose boat's that? Is that your boat? Come on, seriously. Um, no, fantastic that they got off and then got there. I think they had two payloads or three payloads. Yeah. And then not would- long after, they the company that did, was it imaging for weather, I think, or whatever it was, they said that they were able, the satellite was online and yeah, really exciting stuff. Yeah, it all happened very quickly. I saw um, some interesting figures. I put this one up on LinkedIn, 27,000 kilometers an hour. That was the sort of the, the peak speed. That's mental. Um, just, just phenomenal, and you know other groundbreaking or the, the sort of key groundbreaking bits. I guess that stood out as well. Was this is we talking about a carbon fiber rocket? Mm-hmm. I still remember seeing it when they. You know, I was lucky enough to be there at the um, the original uh, un- unveiling of it at uh, Rocket Lab HQ in Auckland, going back I think two thousand and fourteen. And, um, yeah, just how incredible it was in terms of their ambition because they had on the wall some of the other Rocket Lab sort of previous things. There was like a, a handheld rocket, which I think was for 
maybe emergency situations for forestry workers. And, yeah, they've come up with some quite innovative ideas. Mm. Um, but then we were looking at the electron rocket and its Rutherford um, engine um, yeah, prototype, whatever was on it. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is scales of magnitude bigger than anything that they had done before. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you know, here we are, yeah, whatever it is, three, three and a half years or so later. Mm. And look, they've got the, you know, they've successfully got into orbit, and 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 not not just the carbon fiber rocket, but the three D printed engine. I mean, this is is absolute. That was groundbreaking, br- wasn't br- it? It's the first br- time, brilliant stuff. First time a rocket's used the 3D, 3D printing of any any form. So, um, look, Peter Beck's done an, an incredible job there and, and, and the entire team. Um, I also liked how they used, because, you know, they're a reasonably, you know, small team uh, in that market. between Rocket Lab in, in New Zealand and their, and their team um, in the US. Mm. But, you know, they're a reasonably new player. They're, they're not a, you know... Uh, Fifty billion dollar or whatever company like uh, uh, you know you you expect for people that are that are into uh, um, space. Um, so how do they go about looking for new staff? Well, they live streamed the whole thing, and um, during the live stream, they're talking up you know Rocket Lab and working at Rocket Lab and basically encouraging people to go and work for them. I thought it was, you know, it was great because that would have exposed them to a global audience of rocket enthusiasts and also people that are interested in working, uh, working in the industry. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just thought, oh, that's 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 really 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 smart. It's good. So you know, I, hope, I think I, hope I also liked in the, the streaming it. how they you weren't just watching a stream; you could hear the commentary. And plus, on the side of the screen, you actually had the different phases of the. The process, you know, um, and I can't remember what those phases were, but the fact that you you felt that you were actually part of the the whole launch thing, which I thought that's was right. Really you, cool. could, you could see where you were in the in the in the process with yeah. the um, little guide on the left hand side, mm. which is uh, is great. So, yes, very yeah, very satisfying. Another um, you know, we have so many of these moments as as Kiwis where we uh, you know we can just you know really feel like uh, you know pr- proud Kiwis because. Um, um, yeah, our, our little country has uh, again achieved something quite, uh, uh, quite you know incredible when you look at it for the um, for our population base for our, po- for our population ridiculous and so on. So I think uh, there is it the eleventh country uh, in the world to um, have um, got a uh, a rocket into uh, into orbit something like that when so. I heard that stat too I thought 11 seems very high I would have thought it would only been half a dozen maybe but hmm. 11 well we're part of the list part of the club that's right that's right um, so I'm look. I'm looking forward to hearing what's next. I don't know how soon until they'll uh, they'll you know start their commercial flights. There was originally some some talk of putting these things up into space every few days, so of it becoming a really really regular thing. I think they've already got uh, so maybe five of the electron rockets that are built. So they've already got some that are you know sort of stock ready to go and mm. uh, use. I'm not sure. Of all of the practicalities and how long it will take them to get up to pace, but yeah, you know, I thought it was 
it was also a pretty cool move that there they are with this, um, yeah, basically a test test flight, their second flight, and they were so close to getting it right with the first one anyway. But that they were they were taking you know a real payload, um, you know, in terms of you know three different um, satellites that were going up on on this occasion. And yeah, obviously it was worth the gamble. For, well, well worth the gamble for those uh, those involved. And yeah, they they you know they were planning. I think you know three test flights, but uh, they could be you know they could just ditch the third Done. one and uh, and go for it potentially. So yeah, very very pleasing. Um, one thing that I did wonder about, and I haven't haven't asked them this question uh, yet, but it is. Why did it take so long to get this one up, right? And I'm guessing it's because they want to be super cautious for this these initial test launches when they did talk about the fact that, hey, New Zealand's the perfect place to be putting them into space from and basically we don't have the constraints of in the US and, you know, basically be able to put them up all the time. Mm. Um, so, I'm, so I'm a little bit, you know, curious about that aspect, but I'm imagining they were just wanting to be super cautious and super conservative for uh, for these initial ones. And look, if they can be putting up, um, you know, dozens of these into space each year, that uh, could be pretty cool. It does open us up to a completely new market because it's not something that we've ever been able to offer before. Like, we've got a very good tech industry, but we've never been part of the space program. So, what yeah. should we put up there? Satellites, I suppose. I don't know. It's um, yeah, it's interesting because they they sit in that such a small, you know, where you've got those such small payloads. Where because I was reading analysis on it, and they said because um, traditionally uh, you'd have to sort of piggyback on a much larger rocket going up. So there's you know you're sort of not the primary focus of that. You're sort of tagging along. Whereas this one, because that's the market they're, they're targeting, they, they can. I think Peter said in the thing that they're looking at doing it monthly. So you know you can start getting these payloads up pretty quick instead of having to wait for the next big one mm. you can mm. st- start firing these satellites up much quicker so away you go yeah, yeah. now on, on to uh, Amazon Go yeah, we talked about this will be you know, probably over a year ago now um, when when it was first uh, first announced and and this is Amazon's uh, concept of a new sort of convenience store where you can walk in. You've got a little uh, barcode. I've got the app on my phone, actually. Interestingly, it tells you that a screen grab of the um, the barcode on the app won't work. I don't know quite how they uh, quite how they do that, but anyway, um, you can get the Amazon Go app. Um, even in New Zealand, if you if you want to want to have a look, and uh, you got a barcode that just gets scanned when you walk into the store from your phone. If you've got multiple people walking in with you, then you scan it for each person that's going in, and then you just pull stuff off the shelves. You know, it could be sandwiches, it could be uh, drinks, whatever that they've uh, they've got, salads and wraps and and whatnot, and uh, and away you go, and you just walk straight out of the store, and it's got enough cameras and smarts that it figures out who you are and what you've grabbed and builds you accordingly although i saw um one person that tried it said uh that they got away with something that they weren't uh, they weren't charged for but uh, amazon seems uh, seems very relaxed uh about it and uh, you know seems very very confident in the 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 technology 
So, you know, the idea is you never have to queue at a checkout again. You just walk straight out. Pretty cool. Is is, and, you know, I guess in some environments, very, very handy. Although I often find if you've just got a small number of items um, and uh, yeah, we've got um, yeah, a little, little store near where we're walking distance from our house, um, which is uh, the the new one from New World, their um, fresh store. What do they call it? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Their little boat, boat, mini boutique supermarket. So I'm in the countdown camp because that's the closest um, one to my house. Yeah. And so, you know, you can walk in there and often there's a bunch of people queuing for the checkout and you got one item or two items or something and you can just, you know, there's usually the, the electronic uh, till. But this just takes it to that, to that next level. Mm. Do you think this is something that will have a, have a, a real impact on the market, or is uh, you know, is it just because it's Amazon and because it's like what you can just walk out because it sounds so crazy? Um, you know, I think probably when we first heard about the idea of a of a self checkout and will will people be honest and you know, the varying other uh, considerations. What do you think? Um, I think it is an exciting part because I think this is one of the prototypes so I think the, the technology does have to evolve and if anyone from Amazon is listening I'm sure Paul you'd love to go to Seattle um, where this one is because I would love to go to Seattle and try it out in person so yeah free flights please um, I, I think yeah I think this is where we're eventually going to move and I think we're seeing some very small incremental steps from the shopping um, you know for example my local countdown's got the whole um, you know if you don't want to get your thing delivered you can click and collect and so that's sitting there so I think we're sort of right at the very sort of very small incremental changes and I think Amazon's sort of leaps and heads and bounds ahead of where we're going to be I think the industry will get to there um, and I think it is an exciting um, thought that you can go to the supermarket and I don't know what you're like but I always go to self-checkout or you know if I'm going to the bank I always go to the ATM because I really don't want to talk to someone I don't want to have to stand a queue I just want to get what I need to do you don't like people eh? you no, don't have to deal with people no but yeah, I don't like people, but because people are slow and you just want to get in there, get it done and get out again because you're on the way somewhere, you're going home, it's been a long day, you just want to get it done and, and, and be over. So I think the whole the whole idea where you could, you know, put pick up your shopping, put it in your reusable bags and then just leave the supermarket and then your phone goes ding, you've, you've bought $100 worth of groceries, I think is a very exciting, we're going to get there eventually. And I think we need these people like Amazon who are trailblazing so far ahead. We can only afford to do the like little minor things like click and collect, whereas Amazon's got the, you know, they can invest and do those risks where they go into using AI and cameras and all that sort of exciting stuff to, you don't have to declare what you're buying, just grab it and leave it. Well, interesting you should mention the uh, the click and collect because I think I think it's a new world with their one they put in put in place. Now you can work out what you want, and it's you know do it through the app, mm. and then it will keep track of your location. And when you're getting near to the supermarket, it'll let them know to uh, to get That's your stuff cool. get your stuff ready, so you can just come and come and grab it. Uh, I can't remember the exact details on that, but lots of little, I guess, little pieces that will fit together here to deliver an experience that allows us to be. Well, let's call it what it is: lazier. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. It's not all about laziness, but certainly, it's you know, efficiency. will 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 yeah Im- improve the the speed of uh, these things that we that we do, or cut various yeah. steps out along the way. And of course, when you can get things also delivered to you, 
and you know we're starting to get you know, fridges with cameras in them and all sorts of different AI smarts and and bits and pieces. You know, we we are we will see all the dots join up so that the standard things that you like to keep in your fridge, and there are certain things that my wife likes in our fridge and that I like in our fridge, uh, and the cupboards and so on. Um, we will get to a point where those things can be taken care of for you and you you don't have to check how much milk have we got, how much bread have we got, you know, have we got the Swiss cheese that we like or the this or that um, because those those things can, actually, can actually be taken yeah. care of by technology. Whether, whether we really need that, that's a whole other question and whether everyone's going to want all of those things, uh, probably not, but... But it's, even it's on that, where things are going, even on that identification, and I've just randomly I just thought of it is the um, the Z fuel stations are now got that thing called Fastlane, where you can register for it using the app. I think you put three number plates in it, and you can just pull up to these particular pumps, fill up your car, and you leave because they've got the um, number plate recognition number plate cameras, recognition, yeah, and they can see it's you know Paul's car ABC one two three. and so then they just charge your car that you've got registered against the app. So in essence, that's a very very crude version of what Amazon's doing in Seattle. And at the gas station, it's just one product, whereas Amazon's, you've mm. got lots, and mm. is using, you know, smarter technology to identify you. Yeah, and, you know, of course, we have robots that can, you know, actually could pump the gas for you, or, you know, there were the, or Tesla Tesla tried out the uh, the process where you pull up your vehicle at a particular location, it would actually whip all the batteries out, so rather than you having to wait for a charge, yeah, yeah, throw replace all the batteries... Uh, that particular thing, you know, didn't take off at the time. There might be a point in the future where that is the sort of thing that people are interested in. In some situations, I, I don't know. Um, but we have a lot of the smarts there now in terms of AI, the ability to link things together and 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 do new things. And yeah, that idea of not having to pay, you know, think about paying for um, your fuel. That's hmm. yeah. You know, that's that's a good one. Right. Really, that, so. the Elon Musk demonstration you said. It's, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you YouTube it because he he goes and fills up. Someone fills up an Audi, I think it is, and then he replaces a battery and he stands there and he goes, "Should we do another one?" And the crowd goes wild. And then he brings another Tesla and does the exact same process and is able to swap two Teslas, two batteries in the same time it takes to fill up a standard Audi. And you're just like, this is ridiculous. Like the showmanship on that is. Incredible! Such a good video to watch. Such yeah, a good video. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, so yeah, the and the, I guess one of the other aspects of this stuff is how much can be done in a small country like New Zealand with maybe smaller retails. Not saying that Z is a particularly small retailer. I can't remember what their their market cap is, but yeah, off the top of my head, they're. Um, yeah, I don't know, half a billion to a billion dollar company or something, right? So they're mm. they're a re- reasonable. Uh, they're 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 of some scale anyway. Um, but yeah, with somewhat smaller entities, certainly than the likes of Amazon. Um, you've got Walmart in the US as well that's investing you know, very heavily in working out how they should best compete uh, with. Amazon, but these guys have got really, really deep pockets. Yeah, and so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how our retailers will evolve in a smaller market like New Zealand, and how they will uh, innovate. And some, you know, sometimes you know, I think we we do better than other times, but. Mm. 
yeah, New Zealand should be uh, the place because we are um, we are very, you know very, very capable of, of punching above our weight. Should be a place where we, where we see some you know great competition for those uh, those bigger players and. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see what uh, what smart things we come up with. Now, they're not, it's not all about technology. Sometimes it's um, um, you know just just doing something that is actually small and um, and and unique and so on, and uh, is just what people like. Mm. Not everyone is is focused on uh, um, doing everything through an app, right? That's the one. Yeah, um, and of course we've seen Amazon launch in in Australia now, and look, they're not at a point yet. Uh, where they're causing too much pain or, or discomfort for anyone, but I can imagine that they will uh, they they will push it harder as as time goes on, and uh, you know we we could come to a a situation where they are having a you know, a real impact on our on our local retailers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now. Um, Airbnb. Now they've had all sorts of you know challenges, as does Uber and these um, you know other uh, similar types of um, of companies. But um, you know this whole uh, uh, sharing economy uh, thing, uh, you know, especially around accommodation, ha- has been one that has run into challenges in different parts of the world. Uh, Lots of parts of the world. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it's fair to say. You know, here in New Zealand, if you decide to start Airbnb out your, uh, you know, your, your property, your home, you've got to talk to your insurance company and figure out, you know, make sure you're covered. Um, yeah, we've certainly heard, heard around... Uh, potential taxes and things like that hitting people, maybe different, you know, different rate structures. If you're using your your property from a commercial perspective to uh, to rent it out, um, and look, San Francisco is the home of Airbnb, so uh, it was very interesting to read that listings for uh, for Airbnb in San Francisco uh, have have almost halved. Um, be, because of um, you know laws that the city has put in uh, uh, put in place there, and people basically needing to be uh, re- you know re- registered um, you know at a at a council sort of uh, at a and a and a and a city level, and it seems like similar things are happening in in other parts of the world as as well. Uh, I think uh, maybe it was. Um, in France, we were seeing some some similar uh, things happen in, in uh, Paris, in, in particular, um, where yeah, there, there's there's all sorts of potential for uh, for things to like this to happen. And so, I mean, you'd lose half of the listings. It makes Airbnb a lot less useful in a in a place like San Francisco, right? Yeah, well, the, the issue that San Francisco has, and um, you know, we were talking about. There's a book called The Upstarts, which talks about. Highly recommend you read it. Oh, it's a great which, read. Which talks about the Airbnb and the Uber stories from from the initial ideas to to where they are today. Is that in all the markets that Airbnb gets into, um, because there's the ability to have those short term rentals, is that you have the landlords kicking out long term tenants in favour of of putting an Airbnb because they could potentially make more money. So a housing market where there's already a shortage of accommodation, rental accommodation for for people, it's just going to get worse by putting Airbnb. And this is trying to 
fix that issue. Um, I did notice that uh, last year was the first time that I've used Airbnb where um, there was a city tax on the receipt because when you book an Airbnb, it has there's a night rate, there'll be a cleaning fee, and then there's any other taxes. And this was in Portland, Oregon, when I was there last year. And the guy said that, um, and he showed me on his wall, he actually had a certificate to prove that um, you know his house was clean and there was a whole lot of other criteria. And then he had a unique booking number, which was also on the booking on the Airbnb site. And that was the first time I'd ever seen, because in my mind, Airbnb had always been sort of very underground and sort of you didn't talk That's like right. Fight Club. And you that was how it started out. And I remember yeah. first using it in New York. Uh, yeah, some some years ago, and uh, you know, I used it there. I think because of just how horrendous the Cost, um, yeah. uh, the hotels are in uh, in New York, and I thought, oh, let's try this Airbnb thing. I must get around to trying it. Here's here's a, here's a good excuse in the particular place I I, I stayed at. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I imagine they were, were were probably flaunting some rules because New York came up as one of the prime places where Airbnb had uh, all all sorts of challenges, right? Yeah, yeah, and they um, what they talk about in the book is when they go into these markets, is they 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 sort of don't ask permission. They sort of go and disrupt the market, and then um, if if one of the local um, you know politicians or whatever starts throwing a fit, they send out a mass email to their their customers who tend to be very passionate about their platform, and then all of a sudden that particular local politician will get you know tens of thousands of emails from all these people, and he goes, oh, you know, maybe. Airbnb isn't actually as bad as what I think it is. Um, really interesting business model, and I think that whole sharing economy just works really well. I use Airbnb all the time as well because it's, mm-hmm. and sometimes it is also nicer to to not be going back to a, a very sterile hotel. It's sometimes it's nice to be, if you're sharing accommodation, it's nice to go back to someone's house where you can talk about where you've been or what you've done or you know it's. Absolutely, you know I I, I think for for anyone that's that's spent. Um, you know, time traveling, and um, it's been in lots and lots of hotel rooms. So it's basically all exactly the same. Yeah. Any sort of variation. I, I remember, uh, yeah, going back, yeah, probably uh, twenty years, um, and do, doing doing work in other in other locations, and um, stumbling upon these um, apartment hotels that had a different sort of style of. Uh, you know, re- rental, they weren't so full service, but you'd actually have a full apartment rather than just this studio thing with a bed and everything all sort of squeezed into it. Yeah. And, you know, that, 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 uh, that change just making it a, a nicer, you know, nicer experience, a bit more like a home. Um, and yeah, Airbnb sort of, you know, obviously gives us, you know, huge amount of flexibility. Uh, in in those regards, with all sorts of places, you I've had stay. some where you've. Uh, I remember a place I stayed. My wife and I stayed in in London. It was central London. We were five minutes from you know the the um, the Parliament buildings. You'd never pay what we paid where we were, and even things like you know they had an espresso machine. They're like, look, there's all the pods. Help yourself. Washing machine dryers there. If you guys need anything, there's towels. Like. If you think about that in a hotel, you'd be like, I get coffee, all right, that's another extra cost. Laundry service, that's a huge cost because they make it's just ridiculous. Like all that sort of stuff, they just they offer to you and you get an essence for free as part of the, the Airbnb thing. So puts a good a good bit of uh, you know, competition in for the traditional accommodation totally. providers, right? Um, certainly if you're travelling for yeah, for a for a long time. You want something that's much more and more like home, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you know we 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 definitely see some variations in the accommodation uh, market, but not um, 
yeah, most of the, most of the things aren't as as interesting as what's available by yeah Airbnb from you know very low cost up to incredible mansions. Yeah, so exactly. um, yeah, no, in, interesting to see. So that that's one that we'll certainly keep uh, keep watching and and see. Uh, how it impacts. Now we talked a little bit last week about the um, Hawaii cable. Um, now I called it the Hawaii cable, um, but I heard it pronounced while I was on their um, uh, their ship last week, or the ship that they've um, um, uh, contracted to uh, to build a lot of the cable, and it was referred to as the Hawaii cable. So. I stand corrected, and sorry for anyone who's picked up my uh, incorrect uh, pronunciation there. Um, so yeah, I got to uh, I got to tour uh, the the responder, which is uh, is laying the undersea cable. It's already huge amount of it's already done actually. So the the cable, I think it was December they finished laying the cable uh, from. Uh, where was it from Oregon to um, Hawaii? That, Hawaii. Yep. So that that bit was, that was already finished. There's already some footage online around that. Uh, it was around October or so that it was in uh, Sydney, and it, so it's laid cable up from Sydney. Now we've got uh, bits linking up from uh, um, Northland that are. Uh, that are that are being uh, done over the weeks ahead, um, but the whole lot of this new undersea fibre optic cable linking New Zealand out to uh, North America and and Australia, uh, with some some interesting uh, stops along the way. Uh, I think uh, American Samoa is is in there. There's um, um, a lot of yeah a lot of extra connectivity for the for the Pacific. I think they were. There was originally talk of um, hooking in the Cook Islands, but I think that one uh, in, ended up fall, falling through, as far as I'm uh, I'm aware. But it'll all be done in about the next eight nine weeks. Um, you know, I'm told by the end of March, all the you know all the the real uh, you know the cable laying side will be done, and then uh, sometime in June. Um, the Hawaii cable system uh, goes live, and you know this is going to be in, you know incredible for New Zealand, where you know not that long ago we you know we had a very high high um, you know, risk of getting disconnected from from the rest of the world if someone had really wanted to cut us off. Mm. There was only a couple of points to do it, and um, yeah, there, there's a. There's certainly some some chance of two breakages at, at once, which is yeah, you know, I think usually how these sort of things happen. Fortunately, there hasn't been too many malicious, um, you know, people uh, you know trying to disconnect countries from uh, from the internet. But uh, this gives us a lot more diversity now because we will have yeah basically you know four separate physical uh, links to the the rest of the world the southern cross cable you know of course hitting you know two points, two points. of the, the the country uh and then we've got the tasman global access cable which lo- links us up with australia uh, in in addition to uh, the hawaii cable um system so yeah it's uh it's it's pretty exciting and uh and and we're almost almost there 
Now, they're talking around uh, bringing a, a total of 43 uh, terabits of uh, of new capacity. So this you know, increases the internet capacity to New Zealand um, yeah, by a, by a pretty big uh, margin from New Zealand to the to the US, especially. And look, you've got to imagine this is going to help drive uh, competition a, as well. Um, so yeah, we we just get uh, um, probably closer to a position where all our internet plans just become yeah you know, unlimited. Um, across the board, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure it necessarily drives that, but you know, as more and more people expect it, it certainly makes that sort of thing easier to do. Um, whether it just means a little bit more margin in um, you know internet providers' pockets, or whether we see that that uh, flow on with with competition, I don't know. I mean, most I guess well, a lot of so many people are on unlimited plans now. I imagine. You are from a business perspective and a home perspective. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, if we didn't have our, we've got a gaming flatmate at home. Our internet usage at home would probably be. Actually, no. My wife watches a lot of Netflix. So I'll completely <laughs> throw out that comment. Um, but our usage like keeps going up, doesn't it? Though, like yeah. you know, you talk about Netflix. It's like, well, we're starting to, yeah, we're starting to see the the four K content become, you know, yeah. uh, become, you know. Uh, maybe not completely mainstream because you know not all platforms support it, but certainly uh, you know with Netflix, Amazon, uh, I think YouTube does 4K as well uh, now. So you know with with us having these higher definition screens and faster and faster connections, like our you know, gigabit ultra fast broadband, or mm. even a even a even a, a low low end if you can call it that ultra fast broadband connection. Uh, yeah, generally can uh, can put through this ultra high definition video. Um, now a lot of those things are cached locally and so on, but you know having those yeah fast internet pipes and lots of options is kind of got to be a good thing, doesn't it? I, I think with that cable too launching up into the islands, it's an exciting if they're able to peer into it because it opens. You know, a lot of them are looking at moving to solar. Um, Tesla's looking at the did that big um, power bank that was in South Australia where mm, mm. you know Elon Musk said that within 100 was 100 days of signing that he'd have it there and he did it um, so a lot of those islands are looking at solar looking at putting in big lithium batteries um, if they can put in that sort of internet connect- connectivity it really opens up some possibilities that you can have staff from working you know just because as everything moves online internet's more critical and I think so, our, our threshold to having crappy internet has lowered and lowered and lowered so if those islands can come on board and and They've got the best of all the worlds where they've got really nice, beautiful weather, got good internet, and you're using renewable power. That could create some problems, right? Because it can be quite low cost to live in some of these locations. You you might find, you know, half of Auckland uh, decides to move to... uh, yeah, to to the Pacific Islands. That's true. Um, there might not be enough space in the Cook Islands. We decided to go there, um, and yeah, they've 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 still got to they've still got to improve their connectivity there. But uh, yeah, you you can imagine some of these locations will uh, will become uh, pretty attractive if they've got high speed fiber connectivity. Yeah, uh, you know, low cost renewable uh, energy compared to you know often things off diesel you know, generators, diesel, diesel generators, yep. and, the, and the like. Um, yeah, quite a quite a huge change, really. 
exciting times. So, yeah, and very, very, very interesting to see how that develops, what locations actually end up with, um, with high-speed internet. Now, a couple of other things I wanted to chat about. Um, Intel have been... Uh, de- dealing dealing with some uh, some challenges, haven't they? So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, um, it's a bit it's, of an issue. It's, Our, um, it's fair to say that things haven't been smooth sailing as uh, they've been working to sort of work around the, the meltdown and, and spectre um, design flaws in in their chips, which ha- you know basically led to some pretty major cybersecurity. Risks and uh, the latest thing that I saw uh, saw through is look these issues are or there are there are issues that these these supposed fixes are causing and you know in a number of cases they're they're basically um, encouraging um, yeah computer makers to uh, to put the brakes on as far as actually rolling out. Um, um, or you know, distributing these uh, these fixes. Mm. So it's a bit um, of a shambles, really. Yeah, huge issues. Our chatting with our, we've got a whole lot of managed service because we do software. We're not you know hardware guys, and for some of our clients, they require their data to stay in NZ. So we still maintain some tin. Um, and they were saying, yeah, huge issue, especially when you've got hundreds of managed services that, and across lots of platforms, not only Linux but Windows as well, that you have to go through and patch and. Um, yeah, I'm just really glad that we don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, and also some of these things are causing uh, performance issues in, mm. in, in some cases, so that, that makes it very difficult. Um, you know, certainly, you know, my team at uh, Gorilla had to spend you know a lot of time uh, looking at this once you know when it when it came out um, earlier on in the year, and um, you know, making sure that uh, um, they're they're on top of keeping keeping systems as as, as locked down as so. Uh, as it can be, but uh, yeah, it's it's been um, a bit of a challenge. So not not ideal when their fixes actually aren't um, aren't so good. Now, last year we talked about a Kickstarter campaign called Magpie, and uh, this this is something that um, uh, Derek Handley, who's quite well known as a successful entrepreneur here uh, in New Zealand, with a couple of other partners, including his brother. Uh, Callum had uh, had launched this Kickstarter campaign for this little thing called Magpie, and uh, basically a little um, like a little um, uh, GPS tracker that you could uh, you could attach to things, and uh, rechargeable, waterproof, and the idea being it was something that could last for a really long time because you could adjust how often it would sort of ping back to base and have an embedded uh, SIM card, you know, have a SIM card in it and basically connect it up to carrier wherever you are and uh, send a location. So seemed like a really good idea. You could change the frequency. So you know, if you had the frequency, say, that it, instead of giving a location every five minutes or every hour, what have you, it might just do it once a day. And so hence the battery would last for, you know, weeks and weeks well, on yeah. On end now, they've uh, they pulled the plug on that, and I actually missed this. It was in the leading up to Christmas, and it was it was only just there's been a bit of media coverage in the last uh, last couple of days or last last week or so about it. And um, 
yeah, a few people a little bit, you know, up in arms that they've uh, they pulled the plug on this. They are saying they're going to refund everyone their money back. They're saying, hey, you've had our hundreds of thousands of dollars for the, you know, for we the last now. year. You've gone off. You've actually developed something. Uh, and what they're saying is, is they're going to use it for more, rather than targeting the consumer market, for more, um, you know, commercial um, and, and, you know, business type of uh, of opportunity. So yeah, two two hundred sixty two uh, thousand was uh, was raised in the Kickstarter campaign from close to uh, um, you know five thousand backers, uh, including I think quite a um, quite a bunch from uh, New, Ze- New Zealand and uh, certainly a bunch of listeners from New Zealand Tech Podcasts. So I heard you know a few quite a few people jumped on board with it. So uh, yeah, that now. They did have a cutoff which is passed to get your refund. So it sounded like they were just going to hold on to people's money if people didn't ask for a refund. Seems odd. Which I didn't quite get that. Um, but apparently they've extended that. So you can go online. If you did buy one of these, you missed the email over Christmas as, as I did. Um, because of the email account that was linked up was, you know, reasonably. Uh, unimportant one uh, that was linked up to my Kickstarter because I don't use it very often, and uh, yeah, I completely missed the email. So uh, um, yeah, just just something, something to be aware of. Um, interesting, they cited Samsung as a competitor to come into the space since they started. Mm. Um, Samsung have have a product that doesn't use a full blown mobile network; it uses an IoT network. Um, so that, from what I can tell, might not be a relevant product in New Zealand just yet. But we've got, we do have some IoT uh, network uh, stuff that has been built uh, in New Zealand already, and we've got um, Spark and Vodafone with with their IoT networks that are also being built, and. Um, I think the Vodafone one sort of ties into cell towers. The one that Spark are doing, I think, is is you know somewhat uh, or more ind- independent. Um, but I'm not sure on all all the ins and outs on on that stuff. But that stuff is coming in the future. And one of the things I noticed at CES is there is a there is a lot more things that are being built, or a lot of things that are being built that leverage. IoT networks to communicate rather than the traditional mobile network that we're that we're used to, mm. and the the reason the main reason being is uh, to bring down the battery usage so you can do these things without using up a whole lot of data at all uh, or a lot a lot of energy at all, and uh, because in, in a lot of cases they don't need to uh, move move a lot of um, a lot of data around, so the, the sort of lower bandwidth. Uh, or narrow band, I think, is the one that um, um, Vodafone's rolling out. Uh, narrow band I- IoT, um, rather than broadband, or um, that is uh, that is the one I think Samsung are using. So I think we'll we'll see lots of new things coming uh, coming through mm. over the next couple of years that will use this stuff. And we have, you know, the things that we've sort of dreamt about. Cause I think a lot of people looked for little GPS trackers over the years. And thought, oh, it'd be cool to put a little GPS tracker on, you know, XYZ, whatever it is, whether it's your car or your boat or, you know, anything else. And there have been different ways of doing it. But if you can get a, a little really low cost thing that doesn't cost you much in terms of running cost, um, and, and so on, then, you know, you'd be able to afford to put these things on your bike and, you know, all, 
all manner of things. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. You put on My PlayStation got nicked a couple of days ago, so I could have put a GPS tracker on my PlayStation. If you thought about it in advance. I thought about it in advance, yeah. and these guys had been yeah. out. Yeah. We got my PlayStation. Oh, well. Never such mind. is life. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening in. Uh, it's been uh, it's been fun. Now, Nate, I think people know where to track you on Twitter. <laughs> Super easy, Nate. Just like Kate, but with an N. Excellent. Um, and you got a blog as well? Uh, yeah, blog on Geek Zone. Um, so just, yeah, on the front page of Geek Zone, you can see my post up there. Good, good. Um, you can track me down, paulspain.com. Uh, feel free to follow me on uh, on LinkedIn, where I seem to be posting more than anywhere um, at the moment. Also, uh, uh, facebook.com slash, uh, slash paulspain. Um, and and of course uh, Twitter. So those are the places where you'll you'll see my uh, bits and pieces. Actually, there's a video up on Twitter uh, at the moment. I did a, a live uh, stream from uh, from the, sh- the the ship, the Responder, uh, on Friday when when we did that uh, look around the uh, cable laying uh, ship. And what I didn't include was um, a sort of a full view of the ship, but it's huge. Huge. Um, so you can find that twitter.com uh, slash Paul Spain if you'd like to uh, see that video. And yeah, a few other little videos and, and bits and pieces that have been going on online over the last uh, few days as well. And uh, those are up on um, on LinkedIn and on uh, on Facebook. So yeah, that's it for us. Um, look, if you'd like to uh, look at our sponsor, Process Street, uh, go to nztechpodcast.com slash Process Street. All right, that's us for this episode. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.